people panicking because it was too smoky up there. Dozens of people now homeless after a fire rips through a Vancouver apartment building. We've been living in hell. The person that has killed my brother is out there. The emotional appeal from the family of a nightclub promoter stabbed to death nearly a year ago. I think Ms. Meng has quite a strong case. And words that may well have cost him his job. John McCallum, Canada's ambassador to China, is fired. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. While dozens of people living in a low-income apartment building in Vancouver are suddenly homeless this weekend. This is after a fire broke out in their building last night. As Jill Bennett reports, it's the same property where a man died in another fire last month. For the second time in as many months, residents of this Wall Street apartment building were forced out when a fire started in one of the suites. We had people up there that were hanging on to each other and we were all kind of helping each other out, right? The fire started on the third floor around 7.20 Friday night. Six residents were treated for smoke inhalation by paramedics on scene. The third floor is uninhabitable. We won't be allowing people back into the third floor at this time. The 79-unit three-story complex is run by BC Housing. Most of the tenants from the first and second floors have been allowed back home. The building is currently undergoing extensive exterior renovations. The building has uh, scaffolding, so um, we're unable to use ladders to, to access the suite. Um, and um, uh, there was no sprinklers in the building, which um, allowed the fire to grow um, prior to fire crews' arrival on scene. I mean, you see, I'm disabled and I can't run like everybody else. And it's scary. <laughs> LaPointe and many of the other tenants here have lived in the complex for years. In December, there was another fire, believed to have been started by a cigarette in a second floor unit. A man was pulled from the building unconscious and later died. This resident says Friday's fire started in a suite he used to live in. He also says alarms in the building are triggered so frequently, it's tempting at times to ignore them. First I heard of it was, you know, when the fire alarms went off uh, and uh, sometimes they go off and it's, you know, not legit, you know, somebody, you know, burning something on the stove or boiling something, you know. Some, they do go off quite a bit, but yeah, I guess when there was a real fire, like, no one kind of believed it. Yeah. BC Housing says there is no record of faulty fire alarms and there are regular inspections of the building. Jill Bennett, Global News. And in Surrey, firefighters, firefighters had to battle out to put this uh, fire out that broke out early this morning at an old mobile home complex near 83rd and King George Boulevard. There are five buildings on the property. One of the homes was fully engulfed. A hazmat team was called out because there was concern about mould in some of the buildings. Now, the property has been sitting empty for several years, so it is believed the fire was human-caused. And a house in Burnaby was gutted by fire early this morning. Firefighters were called to the home in the 5300 block of Claude Avenue just after 5 a.m. to find this fully engulfed by flames. Police temporarily evacuated neighbours while crews worked to put out the fire. The house was uh, known by authorities to be abandoned. It had been boarded up. There is no word yet on the cause of uh, that particular fire. 
Now, tomorrow marks exactly one year since a young nightclub promoter was fatally stabbed. Chris Tind was trying to break up a fight on the Granville Strip. No one has been charged in his death. Tonight, his family are making another appeal for information, urging witnesses to come forward. Kristen Robinson reports. This year, it's like we've been living a nightmare yeah? and that you just can't wake up from. Yeah? Kindy would have loved this gay. Yeah. Kindy is what Jessica Buller affectionately called her baby brother. Leo the Lab trying to ease the family's pain one year later. He was doing the right thing. That's what he's always done. But at the same time, it's hard to know that he's not here with us. 23-year-old Cal Winder or Chris Thind was working at Cabana Lounge on January 27, 2018 when a fight broke out. The violence spilled onto the street and Thin stepped in to break it up. The nightclub promoter was stabbed and died in hospital. Five people were arrested at the scene but later released pending further investigation. No charges have been laid. The person that has killed my brother is out there living his life, his or her life. It angers me because we're not able to do that. This year has been, we've been living in hell. As Thin's family prepares to mark the anniversary of his senseless death with a vigil at the crime scene, they're urging any witnesses who haven't come forward to do the right thing. There were 60 to 80 people there. We know that someone knows something, someone has seen something. It's frustrating because we know right from wrong and my brother knew right from wrong. Jessica and Simran Buller vowing to stay vocal until they get justice. We're not going to go away until we get it. This is my younger brother. He was the best person I know. This shouldn't have been the end of his life. He just deserves more. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A tour bus driver has been slapped with a fine and temporarily banned from driving for causing a major crash on the Kokohala Highway that happened three and a half years ago. It was back in June of 2015, about 40 kilometres south of Merritt at the Brodie Bridge. A Universal Coach Lines bus slammed into a tow truck that was stopped to assist the driver of a car that hit a deer. 38 people were sent to hospital as a result, several of them ejected from the bus. Police say it was fortunate that no one had died. The charter bus driver, 66-year-old Wa Kung Liu, was charged with driving without due care and attention under the motor vehicle. Actor Liu pleaded guilty and has been handed a $1,000 fine and also a driving ban for nine months. The police watchdog agency is investigating a crash in Vernon. Police say the driver of a Cadillac failed to stop for police just before 3 o'clock on Friday morning on 39th Street. Two officers later found the vehicle had crashed into a tree near 32nd Avenue. Two people were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The Independent Investigations Office will now determine if there was a link between police action and the crash. The man leading the charge to make donation bins safer says a lack of money is getting in the way of finding a solution. The UBC Okanagan instructor has been working with students and organisations after people died while being trapped in those bins. Now, he says if they're going to fix the problem, they are going to need some more help. Nadia Stewart reports. 
many of these organizations, their existence completely rely on these donation bins. UBC and, Okanagan instructor Ray Tahari sure is determined to find a fix for these clothing donation bins, making them safer, possibly by way of smart technology. There could be we design an uh, intelligent mechanism, a detection mechanism that can uh, monitor the situation and can say that, wait a minute, this is not a closing bag. We're hoping that we can resolve this and that we can um, return these bins back in the service and that we can uh, provide the service to the community. Big Brothers of Greater Vancouver revealing this week the loss of the bins means a big hit to their fundraising efforts. Tahiri's first-year engineering as students took this on this community-driven project as a class assignment back in November 2018. But more bin-related deaths meant mounting pressure, so he assembled a task force with an aim to retrofitting the bins so they can be useful again but research and development requires uh, money several stakeholders they show that they are interested they are eager but they have not really stepped uh, forward to provide the funding to harry says they need about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars to pay for student wages materials and testing he says some stakeholders have been timid in light of the way municipal governments have been responding they're afraid that Perhaps the city banned these bins, and even if they spend this money, it would be useless. Tahiri is encouraging cities and stakeholders to consider the roles the bins play in local textile recycling and in providing sustainable funding for nonprofits. It would be much easier if everyone tried to be a part of the solution rather than, again, removing them, destroying them. That would not be an answer. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Kelowna RCMP are investigating after a man was reportedly approaching women on the campus of UBC Okanagan and harassing them. The university issued an alert on Thursday warning people about this man. After several hours, police did find him. He now faces potential charges. Police are appealing for any witnesses who they haven't yet spoken to. Campus residents are reminded to lock their doors and not to hold doors open for strangers. A measles outbreak south of the border has prompted a warning from health officials here in B.C. Washington state has issued a state of emergency uh, right now because of a measles outbreak unfolding in Clark County. That is close to Oregon State. At least 31 people are affected. The Center for Disease Control says so far there are no reported cases here in B.C., but anyone heading to the affected regions in the U.S., are at a potential risk of exposure to measles. British Columbians are being advised to review and update their immunisation status, especially if you're travelling. Health Canada is recalling a brand of chicken nuggets because of concerns over salmonella. Sofina, Sofina Foods' crisp and delicious brand chicken nuggets are uncooked breaded chicken pieces that were sold in packages of 1.6 kilograms. It was sold in BC and does have a best before date of July 19th, 2019. So do check what is in your freezer. If you did buy these, please throw them out. The advice is you can also return them to the store at where you bought them from. A BC driver is facing a hefty fine after getting caught with human cargo in the trunk last weekend. Abbotsford police tweeting this photograph of an unidentified passenger saying a traffic officer located this little surprise in the trunk of a two-door coupe. Six other adults in their 20s were in the car, including four in the back seat, with one over the laps of the other three. Their excuse? They didn't have any more room. Police say the trunk is a 
a dangerous place to pack someone as it, it's designed to collapse in the event of a crash to protect passengers. A vehicle can also only have as many passengers as there are seatbelts. Four in this case. The driver received a $311 ticket for having too many people inside. Welcome back. Well, two central Saanich police officers were sent to hospital this morning after inhaling carbon monoxide during a call. The pair rescued an unconscious man and another person from a Brentwood Bay home when they were exposed to CO. The officers were treated and released. The two people in the home are expected to recover. Hundreds packed in Abbotsford Church today to remember the life of a retired police officer. Jinder Kirk was killed last month in a car crash on Vancouver Island. As Julia Foy now reports, mourners wanting to honour a man who tried to make our communities safer. A pair of pipers greeted visitors to Abbotsford Central Heights Church. People came to share stories about the popular retired police officer, Shinder Kirk. He was just a, a good guy. You know, he, he was always there, easy to talk to, um, loved his family, talked about his family a lot. Uh, we are not releasing a lot of details, but we certainly believe that there are people out there who will recognize the four. For over a decade, Kirk was well known in the public as the media relations officer for the Abbotsford Police Department and the Integrated Gang Task Force. Schinder was just that larger-than-life personality that... If you met Schinder for, for five minutes or, or five months or five years, it was like you knew him your whole life. Kirk retired from the APD in 2012, but continued to work as a commissionaire. But three days before Christmas, he was killed in a car accident near Nanaimo on Vancouver Island. His wife, Wendy, and daughter, Stephanie, were injured in the crash. Today, no cameras were allowed into the sanctuary. But Schinder's niece, Christy, spoke on behalf of the family. Seeing everyone here to celebrate the life of my uncle is overwhelming and touching. He clearly touched a lot of lives. Kirk was praised by many for his professionalism and his work profile. ethic. From my time working as a news reporter when I first came to the West Coast, and then I later got to know him again as a fellow police officer, and he really was the person that he appeared to be. has been one party arrested facing a number of criminal code charges. The family invited just one media person to speak at the service, a freelance cameraman. He made it fun for us reporters and camera people. It, it was just a blast. Just that very engaging personality uh, made everyone feel special uh, and uh, it was truly a privilege to have gotten to know Schinder over the years. Julia Foy, Global News. Now we now know which major retail chain is going to take up a significant amount of space in the redeveloped Old Canada Post building in downtown Vancouver. Loblaws is going to be opening up a supermarket in that historic building on West Georgia, uh, which will be called The Post. There's also going to be a large food and beverage hall for shoppers. When construction is completed, we're hearing the redevelopment is also going to include a 1.3 million square footage of office space in two new towers, surrounded by retail and public spaces. Now, last year, tech giant Amazon announced its new headquarters will relocate to the site with an expected opening date for both in 2023.
The building is designated heritage, and we will be respecting uh, um, all of the heritage aspects. Um, it's been challenging uh, from a design perspective, but we've uh, we've really taken up the challenge, and I think what we're producing is uh, is going to be spectacular. We're reusing the exterior, we're reusing the structure. Um, we're actually taking a lot of the I call it art or murals or some of the Homer postman. We're restoring them. We're going to be reinstalling them into the exterior and other uh, places within. The Vancouver Symphony Orchestra is marking a milestone today with a free day of music. Yeah, it was 100 years ago today the VSO held its very first performance. To celebrate the birthday, the local classical music community is joining the orchestra in performing more than 100 performances at the Orpheum, the Annex and the VSO School of Music. And the best part of this is public are welcome and everything is free. It's open for everybody. It's free to attend. So this is a way of saying thank you for all those years making music in Vancouver and having such wonderful audiences. This is a free day, our gift back to Vancouver. Two Vancouver animators are preparing for a return to the Oscar red carpet. This week they found out that they have been nominated for an Academy Award. Ah, very good. Lorraine's partner is sending her a very clear message. Alison Snowden and David Fine are nominated for Best Animated Short Film for their 14-minute short, Animal Behaviour. It deals with the issues surrounding mental health. The film is dedicated to staff at Vancouver General Hospital who took care of Snowden after she had to undergo a double lung transplant. The couple previously won an Oscar in 1995 for their animated short called Bob's Birthday. It's won at some prizes, some audience prizes. So, yeah, we're really happy with the reaction. You know, we, we like to make people laugh. Yeah. And, you know, the thing with uh, the Oscar nomination, it's such a huge honor. But at the same time, the most important thing is, like, when you finish the film and you screen it and you see a positive response, and especially with a comedy, you get that uh, very real response right there in the audience. You can hear it. Um, so knowing that people have enjoyed it and the feedback's been positive has been uh, the greatest thing. And then getting this kind of accolade is um, just wonderful uh, icing on the cake. Yeah, fantastic. Good luck to them. Uh, the Oscars are on February 24th, just in case you want to circle it in your, I don't know, TV guide, calendar, whatever. <laughs> do people still have Yeah, those? I don't know. What, do they circle stuff? I don't know. I, don't know. I do. You do? I actually carry have around like a, TV a large... Planner? Not a TV oh, right. planner, but a large <laughs> calendar that... Yeah. Oh, okay. Old school. It is cool. It keeps you organized. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. No Barry today. Uh, no Barry's away. S uh, Barry's away. So Squire I don't know why is in. Even. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is great to have you on a weekend. Oh, it's nice to be here. Uh, but before we get to your uh, oh, big stories okay, today. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, we're going to keep you paused. Uh, we'll it's get my to weather. Turn. It's your oh. turn. It's always weather first. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, we've had a generally fair weather day, though. I think the cloud cover stuck around a little bit longer than the initial plan. We have a relatively stagnant an air mass, but you'll note on the outside, it looks on the clear side for now. I think we're going to have the fog patches redevelop through the overnight. What are we watching fly over here? Squires I was going to see a There's a light there. See? Yeah. yeah. UFO. A uh, helicopter, perhaps. Yeah, I we'll find so. out. That'll be next top story. Uh, in any case, <laughs> we do have a cold front that's going to be slicing through, and that's going to be making some changes, especially through southern interior portions, and I'll tell you exactly what that means coming up. All right. Thanks very much for that. I was up. listening to you, yes. 
and then something shiny flew by me. And I got, yeah. I, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on in the world of sport then? Oh, well, the NHL All-Star Weekend is happening, um, which means Elias Pettersson. Now, last night they had the skills competition. He had kind of a rough ride in that. It was okay at the fastest skater thing, but then the stick handling thing, he had a moment. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out so well. Mm. And then he played today in the three-on-three and... Wasn't like Brock Besser last year, let's put it that way. Okay. So, uh, we'll show you also what happened uh, in golf and new number one in the world of tennis on the women's side. Fantastic. All right, yeah. give us a quick drum roll, given it's like, you know, the day of music today. Oh, here we is go. Is this yours? Uh, I, it's a little small for me, this mirror. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do the drum roll later. There you no, go. Got Thank it. You. you got it, you got it. Thank you. Welcome back. Well, further fallout today over the arrest of a top Huawei executive at YVR last month. Canada's ambassador to China, John McCallum, has now been fired by Justin Trudeau. Here's our chief political correspondent, David Aiken. Ever since Canada detained Chinese telecom executive Meng Wanzhou on December 1st, Prime Minister Trudeau has been resisting Chinese demands to set her free, saying that Canada is a nation where the rule of law operates, and that Canada was simply honoring a legal extradition request from the United States. But the comments by John McCallum last week made it seem as if that was not the case, that politics were in fact in play. As I said, I think Ms. Meng has quite a strong case. McCallum then laid out in some detail why he believed a Canadian judge would reject a U.S. request to extradite Mong. But McCallum's musings put the government in a tough spot. Was McCallum disclosing the official view of Trudeau and his new Justice Minister David Lametti, who will have to sign off on any future extradition? Well, apparently not, because on Thursday, McCallum issued a statement saying he misspoke and that he regretted his comments. But then, during a visit to Vancouver Friday on his way back to China, McCallum told a reporter that It would be great for Canada if the U.S. dropped the extradition request, once again suggesting that it would not, in fact, be the rule of law that would decide the issue, but some political horse trading. Not only that, McCallum's comments threatened to upset Canada-U.S. relations. That appears to have been the final straw for Trudeau, who asked for and received the resignation of McCallum, who's a friend, a former cabinet minister, and political ally. The firing, though, comes as Canada-China relations are in a perilous state. The Chinese have arrested two Canadians on unspecified charges and are essentially holding them hostage until they get Hmong back. Another Canadian has had a jail sentence for drug smuggling commuted to a death sentence. Trudeau did not immediately name a replacement for McCallum as ambassador. Instead, a senior bureaucrat, Jim Nickel, will head up Canada's mission in China. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. There's a warning tonight for Shoppers Drug Mart customers about a new scam that is making the rounds. In a post to its Facebook page, the pharmacy chain says scammers have been calling customers, pretending to be from the store, telling them that their prescription is ready for pickup and then asking for their financial information for verification. Shoppers Drug Mart says it would never ask for personal information over the phone. It's now urging those who receive the phone calls to simply hang up. In southeastern Brazil, a dam holding back mine waste has collapsed, leaving at least 40 people dead and hundreds others missing. Parts of a nearby city are now buried by the mud. First responders are rescuing people by air and ground. Crews in helicopters hovered off the ground as they pulled people covered in mud to safety. Elsewhere, a rescuer had to toss a rope to a survivor to help pull them out. 
The mining company that operates the dam says they don't know the cause of this collapse. Brazil's president toured the scene today. The far-right leader has been campaigning on promises to jumpstart the economy in part by deregulating mining and other industries. Environmental Group says this spill underscores a lack of regulation. Now to a shocking road rage incident that has been caught on camera just outside of Boston. In the video, we can see a man clinging to the hood of a speeding SUV for nearly three miles on a busy highway. Here's NBC's Kathy Park. It's not a movie scene, but real life road rage. After a fender bender, 65-year-old Richard Kemrowski jumped on the hood of an SUV, attempting to leave the scene. The driver speeding up to 70 miles per hour on the busy Massachusetts Turnpike during rush hour. He kept going fast, slow, fast, slow, Try to get me to slide off. I wasn't getting off the car. Kamrowski managed to hang on for miles as an onlooker captured the dangerous highway ride. At one point, you see Kamrowski looking down at his phone, dialing 911 for help. Kind of like uh, just survival mode. The driver finally hit the brakes when Good Samaritans blocked him in. One bystander drawing a gun. Police arrested the driver, Mark Fitzgerald, for assault with a dangerous weapon, among other charges. I took my water bottle out of my car. He smashed my window. Police also arrested Kamrowski. He's charged with disorderly conduct. Two men on one wild ride that started with a minor crash and ended with major drama. Kathy Park, NBC News. Uh, in Health Matters, new research from UCLA has found that one in three people involved in accidents with electrical scooters did end up with serious injuries. Most suffered fractures, head and soft tissue injuries. Researchers are saying only about 4% of those injured were actually wearing helmets. They looked at nearly 250 patients who ended up at two different emergency rooms throughout a year. And if you want to sleep better, who doesn't? You might want to try rocking like a baby. A new Swiss study found people who slept on a gently rocking bed fell asleep quicker and had longer periods of deep sleep. Scientists also determined people also did better on memory tests when they were rocked during sleep. Researchers say it's going to be important in future studies to look at the precise deeper brain structures that are involved in the effects of rocking on sleep. So. Welcome back. Now, there are some in the Okanagan who are hoping the weather is going to get really cold. That is because local wineries who produce ice wine need the temperatures to plunge. If it doesn't, there are concerns that this season's harvest is going to be lost. Kelly Hayes reports. A blanket of fog hovers over Penticton. Temperature one degree. Balmy for late January, but there are some who wish it would get a whole lot colder. So local wineries can make this. Ice wine. In order to make it, the grapes have to be picked at no less than minus 8 degrees Celsius. Uh, it still could get cold. Someone who's been watching the thermometer is Bergen of Red Rooster Winery. Fog is a little bit unusual for us right now, uh, but certainly we can get this. Uh, and I recall in past years, we pulled ice wine in November. 
So we've done it in November, we've done it in, in January, and we've done it in, in, in other months too. So it is very much a waiting game. It's rare that we have a situation on our hands like this. Dave Carson is the winemaker for Jackson Triggs and Oliver. He's been in the industry since the early 1980s and says this mild winter brings back memories. I do remember in 2002 when I was making uh, ice wine for uh, Sumac Ridge at the time. The, um, we actually harvested it in March, amazingly enough, but this is very unusual. We don't like to see this situation for the industry. And it's a big industry. Canada's wineries produce more than 2 million bottles of ice wine per year, worth $70 million. Jackson Triggs got lucky this season, pulling off most of its ice wine harvest in early December during a brief cold snap, but says the cutoff date for the other Okanagan wineries is quickly approaching. Uh, when we talk about cutoff points, in my mind, I start thinking around you know, early to mid-February. If you're not seeing anything happening, the chances of it happening are very small. And if that's the case at Red Rooster, Bergganton says, so be it. We will skip a vintage, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the way the environment is. Kelly Hayes, Global News, Penticton. All right, I can't imagine everybody else is going to enjoy that, the average person, but they need it to get colder. Kasha, <laughs> what are the chances of that happening? We're looking at overnight lows of about minus five in the next few days. So not quite where we need it to be, but it is getting a little bit cooler with a cold front moving through. Thank you, Sonia, and a good evening to you. Cold enough for the snow to stick to the ground in Kelowna. This was taken, I believe, yesterday by Diane. Today, we only reached a high of one and moving ahead, looking forward. Tomorrow, a daytime high of four. So still above seasonal in the central Okanagan. Monday, it gets back to seasonal, minus two on your Tuesday with cloudy conditions. I think we will be clearing out for tomorrow. And I mentioned those overnight lows closer to minus five, so a little bit better. Meanwhile, in Prince George, look what these two are up to. Thank you to Mike for sending that in. This uh, and his granddaughter, they made just a small 12-foot uh, snowman today. Wow, good job. Here, closer to the coast, we're sitting at six degrees, an overnight low of four, expected a daytime high of eight tomorrow. And let me revel one more time. I can't get past this. Yesterday's sunset was just Spectacular. This was brought to us by John Buswood. Uh, small particles in the atmosphere, molecules in the atmosphere, help to disperse the light, creating these incredible images that we saw last night. It was just beautiful. Now, we had a less eventful sunset uh, this evening because of all the cloud cover that we've been uh, sopped in. You can see that through the central interior, more clouds, they continue to persist as a result of the system that is beginning to sink south. Wouldn't be surprised that Prince George, you did see some showers through the overnight hours. Taking a look at your current temperatures, Prince George is sitting at two. That's why it is in the form of rain. I don't know how that snowman of yours is going to fare with these temperatures. Seven in Prince Rupert at this hour, six Vancouver Terrace, six degrees and in light rain showers as well. Now, temperature is a very different situation across the country. Wind chill values flirting with minus 40 in Winnipeg. That's why we continue to have extreme cold weather alerts uh, anywhere from Manitoba to Quebec, even parts of Atlantic Canada looking at that, Saskatchewan and Alberta. But here at home, nothing, no weather warnings to speak of. We are seeing this system. It will be sinking south through the overnight and really dissipating, losing a lot of its juice as it tracks down the Rockies through the overnight and the wee morning hours. Ridge of high pressure builds and it's not until Tuesday that we start to see a system impact us to the north. Meanwhile, for tomorrow in the BCPs, we are looking at a sun cloud mix. Minus two, that's your high. I hope you enjoyed your balmy six, seven degree daytime high today. 15 degrees above 
above seasonal. It's going to be minus 7. That's your daytime high in Whitehorse clearing this evening in this area. The north coast, you're also going to be clearing out a sun cloud mix in the morning uh, into the afternoon, rather, with a daytime high of 7, minus 2 in the caribou in the central interior. That's tomorrow. That's also going to be your overnight low. The Columbia and the Kootenai region, 4 is your daytime high, a sun cloud mix into the afternoon. But beginning the day pretty much right across the southern interior with the possibility of drizzle and cloud cover, fog patches everywhere, but then clearing out into the afternoon, as is the case for Whistler on the island. I think we're going to be sticking to some cloud cover, mainly cloudy and drizzly conditions. Have a look at your Metro Vancouver long-range forecast. Sonia. Thank you very much for that, Kasia. A good jingle is very important. It, it is. Because what? I bet you every person who's ever heard a jingle, there's at least one jingle you can remember like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, but we were trying to say, what's the cutoff, really? For, because there are apparently people in, the tw- in their 20s in our office who don't remember what we're talking about. Well, that's they're going to learn later in the show. I know. You and know. that's a good thing. It's a good lesson. It is a good lesson. Um, You're only in your 30s. I know. And I have been for 30 years. Uh, <laughs> No, actually not that long. Uh, Last night was the uh, skills portion of the NHL All-Star Weekend in San Jose. Uh, Tonight, the three-on-three tournament where each division has a team and the Pacifics includes the Canucks' Elias Pettersson. Or Peterson, he likes to say both. Who didn't quite have the skills competition night he wanted to. The stick-handling event didn't go so well for Elias. But, might have been nerves. Uh, because he has shown everyone he does have skills. Skills with two Zs, I might add, to play at an all-star level. But unfortunately, his Pacific Division team didn't do so well. Remember last year... Oh, wait a minute. I just want to let him get introduced. Last year, Brock Besser of the Canucks won the MVP award, but didn't go so well for Patterson. His team wasn't good. John Gibson was terrible in goal for the Pacifics. Uh, There's Patrick Kane with a goal. Here's Patterson. Doughty... Stopped by Rene off the head, and then it's a breakaway for the Jets' Mark Scheifele, and that's 5-1. And then Miko Rantanen. This will be 6-1. Yeah, Gibson had a terrible first half of this game. Oop, that one's in two. Late in the period, the first period of two, Elias Patterson has a chance on Pekka Rene. Remember, he beat him with a beautiful move on a penalty shot in the regular season this year, but this time he basically sick handles right into him. Rene with the save, and Pedersen said he was sorry afterwards, didn't mean to run into him. Pedersen, another chance. Oh, Devin Dubnik with the save. And watch this save by Dubnik. Uh, the Centrals won 10-4, but this is brilliant. On Connor McDavid. That's all-star leather right there. There you go. What? Painful. <laughs> Vancouver Warriors are happy with their move downtown to Rogers Arena, but they aren't happy with the fact they haven't won a game in their new house yet. Tonight they are home to Colorado. It's first responders tonight, and that's appropriate since the Warriors have seven members of the fire department and police force on their roster. After starting the season winning a game on the road, they have dropped to 1-5, and five, including last weekend's one-goal loss to San Diego. Speed. Very close. We're getting close as a team in, in all aspects from our goaltending on out. So lots of positives to pull from it. But of course, if, you know, you want the win. Did you expect you'd have more than one win right now? Uh, easily we could be three and three. And uh, quite clearly our expectations were that we would be more than one and five. Yeah. Fakes. Jones takes it to the net and he scores! 
having made the changes that we made, we knew that this was going to be a grind this year. Um, it's only the midterm, or not even the midterm yet, so there's lots of areas for improvement, and we think that we can get that overall grade up by the end of the year. All right, that is Hamilton, Ontario's Mackenzie Hughes, who was playing with Tiger Woods today at the third round of the Farmers Insurance Tournament in San Diego. Oh, look at that. Nice little putt. Minus uh, six, Adam Svensson minus ten, so he's off to uh, three good starts. Oh, Tiger's already dropping his club in the first hole. Bad approach in the bunker. That'd be a bogey. And then two holes later, much closer. Uh Oh, that's a bogey. He would finish with two birdies, though, so he's at five under par. Same score as Abbotsford's Nick Taylor. All right, take us to your leader. And it is Justin Rose. For Eagle... The world's number one, playing like the world's number one. And he has a three-shot lead over Adam Scott. He's minus 18. Justin Rose is. Shot of the day right here. Scott Brown, 18th fairway. Uh Uh-huh. Now, when it gets on the green, pull the string. Right now. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. And in the cup. High fives all around. He's at 10 under par. Canada's men made the quarterfinals at the Rugby Sevens event down in New Zealand this weekend, but they lost their quarterfinal match to Fiji, 33-7. Canada's actually playing right now against Samoa in the fifth-place playdowns. I think Samoa's up 14-6 last I saw. Fiji will play South Africa. New Zealand faces the U.S. in the semis. Of course, Rugby Sevens at BC Place, March 9th and 10th. All right. When uh, Japan's Naomi Osaka won last year's U.S. Open tennis tournament against uh, Serena Williams, she was actually apologetic because she had dashed the crowd's favorite and her shot at a 24th Grand Slam title. And that was also the match when Serena was most unhappy with the umpire, calling him, among other things, a thief. Whether Serena was right or wrong, it did take away from Osaka's first Grand Slam win, who stood with her head down when it was all over while the crowd booed the poor calls by the umpire. But in the Aussie Open... At the women's final last night, there was nothing to overshadow Osaka, who is now number one in the world and a winner of two straight Grand Slams. From Japan, Naomi Osaka. Taking on Petra Kvitova. And it was a strong open set, opening set, I should say, for Osaka. Right down the line. Won the opening set 7-6. And it looked like she was going to run away with this in two straight sets. And then Kafitova, who a couple of years ago suffered that horrible injury to her hand when an intruder broke into her home and stabbed her in the hand, fought back. And forced a third and final set. To the third set we go. Osaka rights the ship here, and Kvitova makes a mistake. Not a good one, either. As if there is such a thing as a good mistake in a tennis match, but a mistake nonetheless. And Osaka is the Australian Women's Open champion, and she is now number one in the world. A first for Japan. Hey, it's uh, Blue Mountain Resort in Ontario, and it's Ski Cross World Cup action. Brady Lehman of Canada in the men's final. He won this race in 2012 and 2017. 
Whoa, big wipeout behind him, but Lehman unscathed. Third straight win. There you go. Brady Lehman takes it. Women's race. Mariel Thompson's in this, going for gold. She had a shot. She's in the green bib. Brittany Phelan of Canada crashed hard right there, but she'd get up and finish the race. Thompson took the lead, tried to hang on, but Fanny Smith of Switzerland overtook her, so Thompson gets the silver. Kelsey Sirwall was eighth. As we watch the finish of this one. Well, let's watch the finish. There we go. Beautiful. All right, now to the X Games. This is that Regina's Mark McMorris. Final run, slope style. Needs to be flawless to win gold. That's pretty flawless. And so is this. And so is this coming up as well. That's golden. Yes, an eighth X Games gold medal in his career, 17th overall. He won silver on Friday in Big Air. Never won a gold in the Olympics, though, but Mark McMorris dominates the X Games. Sarah Daniels, ranked from Dessel Thistle Delta Thistle Curling Club. Last shot in the semifinals at the Women's Junior Championships of Canada against Nova Scotia, who were the defending champs. Daniels does her job, so do the sweepers, and Canada will see BC and Alberta in the final. And BC will also be in the junior men's final as well. FA Cup. Manchester City and Burnley. Who's your squad? Who's your team? Who do you support? I, I, I've been that long now. Aston Villa, Liverpool, Manchester United, all of them. You, you just, I'm just a girl. Want to name some more? <laughs> <laughs> Who's this? Gabriel De Jesus. De Jesus with the uh, gold there. This is pretty much all Man City. Kevin De Bruyne. Over to Bernardo Silva. Mores. De Bruyne was in on three of five City goals. Five nothing over Burnley. This is your snow report for the Saturday, January the 26th, where we didn't pick up any fresh snow near the coast. A healthy 255 centimeters of snow, however, on the ground at Cyprus. It's in Revelstoke where we picked up a little snow, four centimeters, bringing it up to a snow base of 201 centimeters. Manning Park has 168 centimeters of snow. Big White has 178. Sun Peaks has 153 centimeters and eight centimeters of fresh snow fell at Powder King, bringing it up to a snow base of 250 centimeters of snow. All right, now the man who wrote Woodward's famous uh, $1.49 day jingle that so many people remember, uh, he has sadly passed away today. $1.49 day, Woodward's $1.49 day, Tuesday $1.49 day, Woodward's a day to shop and save. Yeah, yeah, Squire, I remember you remember that very I well, do. don't you? It was brilliant. Yeah, a lot of people whistled along to that very famous jingle. It was crafted by Tony Antonius. Uh, he's an Australian native, uh, wrote the iconic jingle back in 1958 while he was working as the creative director at CKNW. Um, he was only paid $25. No. But you know what? You could buy a house for 25 bucks in 1958. Back then? <laughs> a lot of people made a lot more money. Um, and he worked at CKNW for 40 years. So he was 89 years old. And I think a lot of people are going to remember him very, very fondly yeah, today. Yeah, that, that jingle was... Yeah. Great. Can you sing it for us? Hello, 49 day. Tuesday. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>